Yeah, and the, the, the PC started updating, and it went on for like 40 minutes to this update. I don't even know what it is. It's like, and, and I genuinely thought, have I reinstalled Windows 95? Um, have I got four? How many disks was Windows 95? It was a lot. One of them was, I think they were still putting them on disks up until like something ridiculous, like 2012 or something. Really? Whatever that one was. Yeah. Um, when, the, the... Uh, yeah, when did they start numbering Windows? Because... Um, what do you mean numbers? Oh, like Windows Vista, Windows XP. XP was the one I had the most fun with. It was the one that kind of just worked. Just yes, just like yes. All the games XP seemed, seemed to work. it seemed the most straightforward. It would do it. Yeah. So what do they have? Because they went to Windows. Oh, so the Windows Seven was Windows Seven the first like. Well, it's all yeah. when they started renumbering them. So Windows Seven, was... and then that was quite good. And then Windows Eight was preposterous creation which is clearly designed for like tablets <laughs> Touch screen, so it's yeah, just yeah. really awkward um and then they skipped windows 9 and went straight to windows 10 i think and that's when it was just sort of um iterations isn't it more than uh, yeah now we got yeah it's, it's fine it's fine uh, we haven't got any choice anyway <laughs> completely dominate yeah. the market but but then uh yeah so that finished the update and then of course turn skype on boom at have an update why wouldn't it has to get an update going on but it doesn't matter about um pc updates because everyone welcome to kino kingdom episode 68 68 rupert that's been going for 68 years that's not too bad considering i cannot stand you cannot stand you um i'm not even sure who you are to be honest i just pick up the phone every week I just yeah, just went on Skype, like typed in a totally random number. So, do you like do you like, do you like films, by the way? Yeah. Um, do you like Gary Daniels? <laughs> sure. Well, it is funny that you should mention Gary Daniels, Rupert, because this week, oh, oh, oh my word, does he appear? Does he appear? Does he um, ever? Um, Are you able to identify where his accents from in this one, or is that but still it, a mystery? But you know, every I reckon I must have, and I know for a fact he's English, but I. Every time he's in a film, I guarantee you, I will just casually when he's talking go on Wikipedia and just think, Did I, are you, am I sure he's not Australian? Yes. Like, it's, it's, it's like it's like he can't even do his own accent. It's so bizarre. Yeah. Like, it's not like he's a bad. Mm, I mean, he is a bad actor, but you know what I mean. Like, yeah, he's a bad, bad actor, but he's not a bad presence. Um, Especially so. when he's playing twins. Yeah, the, the, <laughs> yeah. If ever not, we, we haven't covered um, Cold Harvest yet. I don't think mm. somehow. Have we not? But I need to we should. Again. We, we need a, we need a really a, a live a live podcast where we just get together and people can like watch along with us because that scene in Cold Harvest where he <laughs> meets his brother on the back of a truck that's clearly just being wobbled by extras and he's like, oh, hey, bro, how you doing? And then. <laughs> he's from Essex and then his brother too and it's just him in a beret and glasses but it's so his face is so smug like <laughs> like we, like we as viewers wouldn't expect that and like would be like oh wow it's just him in a beret <laughs> I don't think I've ever been excited by a man in a beret no I it, you could do a drinking game with that film like every time you see some dust, brick, dust brickwork painted onto a wall uh, you have to take a drink. You'd be battered. That's the um, that's the that's the movie where at the end he walks into the bad guy's office in an office block and there's a pitchfork leaning up against the wall. You constantly see pitchforks in offices. I saw four today. 
Yeah. Um, yeah, I the popped in the office today. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just leaning against the wall, an Amish farmer came out the lift. <laughs> just going to pop my pitchfork here. Um, yeah, I, I, there's a, a few things I wanted to mention before we go into like the, the reviewing proper. Um, uh, before that, though, you said you were you were especially excited about this episode. I just wondered if there was any reason behind that. Not really. It's just been ages since we did one. That's all yes, it was. You know, yeah. I just to get I, things off my chest. Not even that I've watched any particularly interesting films. So really, course. what I'm saying is it's, although I might be excited, for everyone else it's just going to be a deeply average episode. <sighs> <laughs> have you still got that excitement have you is your heart still racing are you still keen oh no it's completely died it's died a death inside me that's it now well i'm just, I, I can, I'm I just can a hollow something. shell of a man i can tell you something that'll cheer you up that okay. uh, I, fa- I found out today well, you already the, cheered um, me up by saying the word name gary daniels to be honest <laughs> did, did you know and this film i believe has been absolutely buried right right that in 1984 or five Sylvester right. Stallone was in a musical with Dolly Parton. Have I heard this before? It's called Rhinestone. Right, no. As in um, and like Rhinestone. Stone Cowboy, Cowboy. yeah. Um, okay. Apparently, so this is, I was told about it today by a mutual friend, Mal, and I, I was online on eBay, and it's on Blu-ray. Uh, but you can't, you, can't, it's, you can't stream it anywhere. But it was a it was a fifty it was the cheapest I could see for it right just for bog standard DVD was fifteen quid region two, and I was so tempted because I apparently he sings not only like sing song like a couple of solo songs but he does duets with Dolly Parton and I just I (laughs) I can't imagine Sylvester Stallone singing no like especially yes especially that time when no I suppose any time in his career he's never really fully enunciated his words when he's speaking <laughs> let alone singing so he started uh, off he started off in the cockies didn't he he did a cocky first did he in the 70s yeah it was called it was generally called like the i think they rebranded it after rocky as the italian stallion mm. so whenever rocky was said what 76 77 i think he did a cocky before that and it was what was it called was it called rock hard rocky oh. hard <laughs> i think it was called brian looks through the letterbox <laughs> Um, That's <laughs> so. So it's called Rhinestone. Right? Yes. Um, yeah. And it's basically impossible to find. Is this one of those films where, like, he's actively sought to have it like buried? I wonder. Mm. I did wonder that as well. Well, the way Mal put it to me was that it's a film that Dolly Parton's not proud of, and I thought, what? Okay. A film where she did, where she she's not proud. It's a music one. She's not proud of it. Imagine how he feels. Well, uh, uh, the. I, if you remember, like with not if you remember with Dolly Parton, um, I watched a film, a Christmas film, and must have been obviously around Christmas time. We reviewed it here, and it was terrible. And they had that one, they had that one uh, song from Dolly Parton called "Somebody's Missing You," and it's just this really gorgeous, heartfelt country song, and it was clearly the highlight. Um, but then I can imagine her, her kind of sort of trembling falsetto. And then you've got the other end of it, Sylvester Stallone. It's just I don't know. Sylvester Stallone always sounds like someone like with a deep voice from South Wales getting out of bed before they've like had a coffee. Mm-hmm. It's it's like low blah, 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 blah. Yeah. 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 So he, ba- he basically sounds like a two speed CD ROM drive all the time. Yeah. It's it's like a it's a 
geological voice, isn't it? It's like it doesn't. <laughs> it's not. It's inhuman almost. Ridiculous. Yeah. Like, like, it's like Sam Elliott esque. When oh, people but like so basic that when he talks, people don't like listen to him. They just put stethoscopes on the floor and just translate <laughs> the vibrations. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Translating yeah. the vibrations is. I think it was probably the <laughs> boy's best song. Now that I think about it. Um. Yeah, I'm I, intrigued to see that, but I'm not spending fifteen quid on that. Well, I was hoping to kind of talk you into it. All oh, <laughs> right. Okay. <laughs> so you were tempted, but much it, more tempted in persuading me to buy it. I tell you what, though, if that was if that was a German Arrow Blu-ray, you would have been all, all over it. Exactly. All. Alternative reversible cover art, I'd be all over it. Yeah. Um, I, I wanted to do a little thing as well because you know the the, the recent um, Bruce Willis died. I know we did an episode on Bruce Willis, the Willis Whispers, with our very dear friend and occasional lover Laszlo Buckets a few months ago um, when he had his um, he was diagnosed with aphasia, but. Obviously, we now know that unfortunately it's um it's full of dementia, isn't it? Full of dementia, which is which is shit, to be honest. Yeah. Um, and obviously we, we love Bruce Willis. And I was just pottering around the other day and I found this clip and it's just over a minute long. And it was twenty eighteen and I think it was you know they do I'd never watched these, but in America on Comedy Central they do these roasts. Oh right, okay. Yeah. Um it's it's just him. I don't know if this is before or after the roast, but it's just Bruce Willis getting up on stage and I watched it and it just it just made me smile and I just um just wanted to do something a little bit positive in the face of his unfortunate diagnosis because he is someone who is his his films will literally have cross generations and will like what the moment I sit down and watch Die Hard with my son will genuinely be like a very special moment because the film means so much to me casually Mm -hmm. you know you watch movies a lot and you think nothing of them and then I think when you you know, when you find out people pass away, like when I think of when I think of how much I loved Cold in July with Don Johnson and Sam Shepard and Sam Shepard's performance in that film. And now that he's passed away, it gives everything this kind of this kind of weight. And you realize that when people create art, it's very easy to be passable about it. Think, oh, that was an awesome movie. But then when they pass away or they become ill, you watch it. It just takes on this sort of extra emotional weight. This, um, and, and I just this just. It's just him doing a minute long speech. And I just wanted to play it before we carry on because he's having a rough old time and, and this really made me smile. Nothing can keep me down. I'm going to attack my terrorists, asteroids, film critics, music critics, restaurant critics, divorce lawyers, male pattern baldness, and none of it, none of it stopped me because I am still Bruce fucking Willis. <laughs> <laughs> well, man, Lovely stuff. Um, yeah, yeah it, it, he's got a point. Well. He is Bruce fucking Willis, and he always will be. And uh, I'll I'll play the rest of that at the end of the episode. It go, it goes on for a little bit, but I'll play that at the end of the episode. But Bruce, we love you. Hope we're having a good time with the family. Um, there's also something else that uh, our, one of our regulars, Utah Smith, sent me something. Like they just completely apropos of nothing, and it really piqued my interest. And I just want to go through this with you, Ro. Have you heard of the website Cameo? No. So Cameo is a website where you can pay, I think it's £2 to send a message to them to see if they'll get back to you. You can. Oh, it's, I have yeah. heard of that. Yeah. This is where they well, do it. Well, aren't the variable prices? You could pay. They have, well, I, it's funny you should mention that the prices <laughs> are variable, Rupert, because 
this I, I, this could really be a new future here um, alongside the Arkans down. Um, he said, oh, wow, for, for like a 30 second video uh, from Robert Darby, uh, it's one hundred and eleven pounds. Right? <laughs> and then, of course, we had to dig deeper. So um, I just I'm just going to go through. The, so this is they they you basically say, you know, my name is Brit. Can you send me a video? And they just do like a 30 second message to you. Right. So I'm going to go through some actors and I want you to try and guess <laughs> the price of them. OK. OK. So hang so, on. So. Uh, OK. Let's, what's the baseline? So the well, the, ba- the baseline is Robert Darby and eleven pounds. OK. OK. Seems so reasonable. How, so how much do you think Jason Patrick set you back if you wanted to buy that for your wife for a little 30, for 30 seconds? seconds? Mm-hmm. I think they're all. Th- I think 30 seconds yeah. is like the average. Yeah. Yeah. OK, so Jason, Jason Patrick. Um, well, <laughs> I haven't seen him in many films recently. I won't lie to you. Uh, oh, do you want to borrow my copy of Speed 2 on VHS? No, that's all right. Um, I'm going to I think he'll probably. So it's 111 for Darby. I think Patrick would you charge 50? But bear in mind that these, I'm assuming. Well, I, I say I'm assuming. I'm confident that they set their own prices. Um, I would say so. So 50, 50 quid for 30 seconds. For 50 quid. If he's asking for more than that, he's having a laugh. Okay, here we go. 166 pounds. <laughs> I would so okay. quid, I would say, hey, Robert Darby, can you do me a favor? Can you just strike a match on your face just so I know it can be done? Um, yeah, the, the next sit one, properly I, on that chair. The next one I'm going to skip because you're not familiar with him, but I'll tell you when I do the review of the movie. So, okay. um, you, uh, you, you know, the, so John C. McGinley of, of Scrubs fame. Yes. Oh, OK. And. Uh... Bear in mind, Robert Darby, 111, Jason Patrick, 166. And this is in pounds sterling. I think John C. McGinley, you see, he's quite charismatic and he is very recognisable from various films. Like, he's, you know, even someone like Platoon, where he hasn't got a massive part. But um, I've always thought that he looks like a frightened dildo with a wig on. He has got an almost Muppet like appearance in a way. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, I actually like that one. Literally like that one. Yeah, that. yeah. Was, yeah, was a true. kind of constantly surprised one. Um, anyway, so I, I think he'd, you're looking 200, looking at 200 for him, I'd say. Oh, Rupert, it's north of that. You'd be looking at Is 394 it? pounds, actually. Yes. So there's, 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 there's five more left. Um, okay. So you've got also oh, Johnson. What about, so you've got. Yeah, John C. McGinley, 394, Robert Darby, 111. What about Don Johnson? Oh, my God. Well, I'd pay anything. Can, can you, I know, yeah, well, he's in the bar, isn't he? Like, the, most of these people are. Imagine that my Don Johnson sent me a private message. I'd, I, I'd somehow will myself to teleport into my phone and then into his mouth. The thing about Don Johnson is he's he's cross-generational as well, isn't he? Like, yes, he's he got is, appeal he to... He's in Cold in July, which is a fantastic film. Yeah, well, he's got, like, a modern audience, but he's also got, like, uh, well, obviously the Miami Vice uh, crew, but also, you know, even before that, there was cult stuff, like, what was it called? Um, the Boy and His Dog and things. So he's, he covers all the all of it. I'd say five... I, I'd pay 500. I'd say I'd pay 500. <laughs> I wouldn't actually pay a fucking penny, but... Uh, for Don... <laughs> The, the Relatively speaking, um, 415 pounds. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And I feel like my mum is a massive and has been since the Miami Vice days. So you're talking from 1983-84. I can see that being like a very special gift, a final gift or something to like a, a dying relative. Final how amazing, would, how amazing would that be? Well, you don't want to. As, as yeah, they, you don't want to do it too early, otherwise they might. Away. And the doctors like, are like yeah. standing there with the defibrillators. You're like, hang on, hang on. I'm just going to quickly get on a cameo and hope yeah. with the time difference that Don Johnson is on his sex blower. It's not it's not going to happen. Uh, it, but yeah, I think 450 pounds for like a 30 second private message from Don Johnson. That That is an absolute bargain. But that's an absolute bargain. Um, how much do you think Michael Madsen is worth? <laughs> well... What do I think he's worth? I don't know what. Mm. I get Which the feeling other? the trajectory would suggest that he's going to be even more expensive. But realistically, I, I mean, like he's... the fact you're paying attention. I, I th- we should have a competition where we get Michael Madsen's filmography up and both take a deep breath and see it and go the furthest through it without running out of puff. <laughs> um, it is it, it, going to be like 600 quid or something stupid like that. Nope, nope. You have that almost is 332. Okay. Yeah. Mm. Still too much. <laughs> but what about Dolph Lundgren then? Dolph Lundgren, well, that's again, he's, he's a bit of a cross generational guy. He's got to be, he's got to be 500 ish, isn't he? I'm like how much, I'm liking how much you value. By the way, Dolph Lundgren is in our bar, in the Arkans bar. And yeah. I wouldn't care if he came in and I turned around and went, oh, Dolph. And he just beat the shit out of me. <laughs> Like literally beat me unconscious. I think, oh, this is amazing. Um, <laughs> I always wanted. It's two hundred ninety-one pounds. Really? Oh, I'd rather speak to Dolph Lundgren than John C. McGinley. Um, Frankly, yes, that is pretty good. Yeah. South of three hundred, that's very affordable. Would I want a Swedish hunk to talk to me, or a man who looks like a frightened vibrator? Ooh. Um, okay, so the, these two are the same, right? You've got Louis Guzman and Jeremy Piven. And they they both charge the same price. Okay. Um, I'm not really sure what Piven's famous for at the moment. Was smoking he... aces, smoking aces, obviously. Was that it? But I don't know. Was he in like? I don't. Know, he's probably bound to be in some TV series. Oh, wasn't he? In, what was that bloody so entourage? Yeah. 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 Um, Louis Guzman has obviously been a character actor for a long time, and now he's probably most famous for wednesday so well to me to me he's most famous for when he speaks he sounds like a wasp buzzing around a flower he was astonishingly miscast in wednesday right he's, uh, he's cast I, what's that film where he's like cast as like a like a wise gardener right <laughs> again i just thought I, I love seeing him i love seeing him on screen oh yeah I know, he's brilliant but anyway so so they're this, these are going to be the same well i think they're kind of I mean, they're fine, but they've got to be. I would expect no more than three hundred, really, or three fifty. You're gonna tell me it's gonna be? You're gonna tell me it's more than any of the others now? <laughs> no, no, no. It's just two hundred and fifty quid. Okay, okay. No, no, that's fine. Yeah. That's fine. I it's yeah, t- I can ten, appreciate that. Ten I mean, ponies. Yes. I mean, I, I think relative to each other, they're all pretty sound, but well, it's I just think. There's one more to do, right? So, and th- these are all the same. And th- and th- this is all thanks to our listener, Utah Smith. So, Bruce Stern yes. is the same price as Scott Adkins, mm-hmm. who is the same price 
as Billy Blanks. Billy <laughs> Blanks. The man who in films can't even wear clothes properly. Um, but so would you... you would quite happily get messages from all three of them. If you get them all three of them in the same frame, even and better. And if, if any of our listeners, were out, the, the email address is themenwhotalk at outlook.com. And if any listeners, if they want to go on Cameo and send us some suggestions to read out some prices for Rupert to guess, and if they, and if they, um, if they want to just pay for me to have a 30 second voicemail of Scott Adkins, I would, my retort to him would be Scott, I like some of your movies, but I'm afraid that our political views do not dovetail. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think out of Bruce Stern and so, okay, there are 166. Bruce Stern has had a very, very, like, can you imagine getting career. the of Bruce Stern? I know it. Well, I, Bruce Stern is sort of in the Don Johnson kind of category of intergenerational popularity. So, I, I mean, he's got to be up. I mean, I'd expect him to be in like 400 territory, but I would not expect Billy Blanks to be in 400 territory. So what's going on there? It's 166 pounds. Whoa! I, like, like if you think I about it, between Dern us, doesn't that's need like, the money. It's just a hobby for a minute. No, like so, oh, is that eight, 84 quid each? We could get like a. We should we should find an actor. We should yeah. find an actor that's like a low price, and we'll go halfsies, and we'll use him as the entrance to the show. Oh my god, that's an amazing Can't, idea. Yeah, imagine yeah, just saying like, oh hey, well, uh, I'm so and so, welcome to Kino Kingdom. Why don't we just um, crowdsource Bruce Dern? I'll set up the Kickstarter. Let's knock this episode on the head. <laughs> I could just give Tony House a text to stop fucking round. <laughs> but yes. So that I, I'd like that. So a huge thank you to you, Dust Smith. And like I said, it's the men who talk at Outlook.com. I feel like I, I'm really enjoying the cameo prices section. Um, so yeah, and and then it's on, it's on to the movies, Rupert. Mm-hmm. So, are you? Uh, how many have you got? Sorry, What's I was just being distracted by a centipede. I didn't even think they existed in this country. Well, you've got your Atari on, have you? Wow. Wow, wow, wow. Right, I'm just going to trap the centipede because, I don't know, do they crawl into your ears at night and lay eggs? Probably. Well, that's the earworks. Oh, everything crawls into your ears, lay eggs and kills oh, right, okay, one second. Uh, well, while he's on mute, I'll just... The road is long With many a winding turn that leads us to who knows where we'll get there. Okay, the centipede is now captivity. I'm glad you came back then before the duets and the falsettos kicked in. <laughs> um, right, what were we saying? We're saying films, yes. Yeah, we're, we're talking about m- movies. Um, and I've got, how many have I got? Uh, one, two, three, four, five, six. I've got six films. Um, so mm-hmm. I'm happy for, I mean, I don't know if you've got more. I believe you've watched children's films this, uh, this, this session, Rupert. I have. That is the theme of this session, children's films. Because I do seem to watch quite a few of them, weirdly, having a, a young son. Uh, so actually, these are all from... Disney Plus, which isn't that surprising, I suppose. Uh, but I've tried to, you know, I've tried to pick some like left field titles here. So we'll see. Um, well, I've t- 
talked. I've used all my words up. I don't know any more words. I'll just have so to say the same ones in a different order. So I think you should take off and um, and kick off with whatever movie you got ahead of you. Okay. Uh, well, okay. I'll start off with a, a Pixar movie, Pixar animated movie called The Good Dinosaur, which was released in 2015, I believe, in the same year as another Pixar movie called Inside Out, which got all the plaudits. And they could not be more different in terms of like style, mood, and message. Inside Out is on the is on, in the column of movies I won't watch because I don't like crying. <laughs> it is a yes, that is quite a, a wrenching one. Inside Out's so good, but this the Good Dinosaur was very much in its shadow because Inside Out's very clever. The Good Dinosaur is like, well, it was Pixar's very first box office bomb, and I'm not completely sure why, especially as like Jurassic World came out that year and it made like a billion dollars, whatever. I'm just maybe people uh, were just went I've up actually, for like I've actually cartoony seen this dinosaurs. I've Which seen one? this. What? A good dinosaur. I've, I've oh, actually yeah. seen this. So yeah, okay. I'm really intrigued. This. Cool. Well, as you know, it's a, a an unusual visual style because like the backgrounds and the environments are, are unbelievably like, well ultra believable actually they're almost photo photo real uh but then the dinosaurs themselves are very cartoony it's quite a strange combination i i wonder if maybe like the high concept hook wasn't that interesting for audiences as well because this this one's it sort of posits the idea that what if the asteroid missed and didn't wipe out the dinosaurs but i'm not sure it's that really interesting anyway because i mean this is a bunch of dinosaurs walking around speaking to each other in english and so anyway so it doesn't really have any particular impact on the story as such which is about this apatosaurus called arlo who lives on this farm with his parents and his siblings and he is a very anxious dinosaur and he ends up getting washed downstream and he basically has to make his way home across the mountains and through various troubles and tribulations uh and he does so with the help of a like a dog-like human named spot and that's really the whole plot to be honest and i think i remember watching this at the cinema and thinking it was like uh, average just not really thinking much of it but i think i've had a son since i last saw this movie and it has made a difference definitely because mm. The relationship between the father and the son does produce some moments of vulnerability, I won't lie. And I suppose on the surface, it's quite a traditional family adventure, you know, all about reinforcing the importance of family and the value of attentive parents and all that. But it does have some nuances that do elevate it because it's a story really about taking responsibility by overcoming fear and vice versa, I suppose overcoming fear by taking responsibility and i think that's quite a universal thing and it's quite a solid moral and it's it's a very earnest film and i i i'm sure that earnestness is not lost on children because kids don't need a smart ass script with like constant like adult jokes and pop references in it and this film doesn't have any of that and it has this sort of purity which is lost from a lot of slightly clever modern children's films i think sometimes and it's slightly slower than the average kids film i'd say 
but my son seems to love it i think because maybe arlo the dinosaur is very expressive and there are some quite charming comedy set pieces and there's an amazing cameo from sam elliott as like a tyrannosaurus rex cowboy so that was cool (laughs) um and i do think it achieves something quite impressive because like how do you create a characterful prehistoric adventure movie that well a isn't totally moronic like ice age and b isn't weird and boring like disney's dinosaur from 2000 or whatever it was uh and i think pixar found a way to do it so i think it's a bit of an overlooked one this overlooked and unusual but i think it's worth seeking out and if you haven't seen it since having a son then maybe it's <laughs> maybe it's time to go and have a little uh well, well no this cry. is the th- this is the thing like i said it, i i have watched it i watched it since my son was born and when, oh, right, when okay. you and when you're um when I watched it, of course, you you can completely empathise with some of the situations. And you think, oh, this is uh, this is full on. This is, and it was. I didn't cry, but it was in that. It was it was dancing into that column. It was Michael flatleying across to the column of like, is he going to make Brick cry and make him upset? Uh, <laughs> yeah, but... <laughs> it's not quite as yeah gut wrenching as something like Inside Out. No, and I think part of that's because it's quite brutal as well, really, because actually it's all about him surviving in the wild and it's like he does meet just genuine carnivals that are, are clearly will just go around just biting the heads off other animals and stuff and just consuming them whole so it's quite harsh but that's cool i think it's cool it's got some scary moments kids love scary moments i like well, it i know i enjoyed it as well i thought it was like and again the the, the sort of simplicity of the story yeah it gives it a rewatchability, doesn't it? Because it's just, you know where it's going to start and how it's going to end. And it's just, it does the typical sort of Disney moves, but it, you, sometimes I watch films and I read, and like at some point I'll just think I'm not the key demographic for this. But when I watch yes, this, that will I become was a theme in my next film. Yeah. <laughs> well, there's a film I watched that didn't upset me in that way, at least. Um, I watched Money Plane which isn't a sequel to Money Train. It's a film starring Adam Edge Copeland of WWE wrestling fame right. from 2020. And as I said, my brother Transvaal, he comes up sometimes and says, oh, here's some films. And he throws them on the floor and storms out. And uh, I look at them and on the front, he paid 5p in a charity shop for one of them. <laughs> they might as well just give it away. Yeah, just you may just throw it at his face. Uh, but yeah, I just so I'm this is a lot a few of the films I've covered this week. I'm I'm just working through these. Um so this film it's the plot is oh, the plot. Edge with his man Ben. Uh he's got he's got the, he's a he's a professional thief and he's got this like score lined up where he's going to steal this painting. And it's been lined up by Kelsey Grammer. Uh, uh, who said, you know, he's going to finance this thing. So they, you don't see the planning, which is always great because that's the, that's usually the best part of these films. So you don't see that. So it strips that out of it, which is good. Um, and he goes in and when he gets into this, this vault where this painting is supposed to be, it's just an empty room and they realize they've been double crossed and they have to shoot their way out. And they go back mm-hmm. to Kelsey Grammer and in the, one of the most ridiculous scenes I've ever seen, um, I'm just going to call him Edge. Edge says, yeah. oh, we went in there. And um, there was no painting, and all the guards knew what was going on. They tried to kill us, 
and you finance this. Um, but and then Kelsey Grammer says, "Oh, so you you didn't get the painting that I paid you to get." And Edge says, "No, I just explained that." And Kelsey Grammer says, "Oh well, anyway, I've got this other gig lined up for you, uh, and it, you have to go on this plane where people go on there, and they're allowed to. There's m- millions of dollars on there, and everyone can bet on whatever they want. And uh, you, I want you to break into the vault. No one's ever done it, and no one's ever been on the plane." And Edge goes, "Oh." Okay, and I thought that was lined up pretty quickly, wasn't it? Yeah. Almost, almost as if he's the person that double-crossed you, uh, and like really quickly. He even says, "Oh yeah, here's what you'll need," and he pulls a bag up from Andrew's desk. And I thought this is pre-planned. This is Edge seems to go over his head a little bit. Um, so there, obviously, Kelsey Graham has just double-crossed them and wants them to go on this money plane, and. It, they go on this plane and he's got his little group of people. Thomas Jane is one of his besties, which is good. Thomas Jane's quite cool in this. He is having fun in this film. Um, he's just like, he's laughing and joking. He's playing the Xbox with Edge's like, family while he's on this money plane. Kelsey Graham is really hamming it up in a fun way. Denise Richards is in this film for, I think, a fraction of a second less than I am. But she rocks up. Um, but they're on this money plane, right? He's got he's got this crew. He's got like a, a woman who's sort of managed to wangle in as a waitress don't see how by the way this plane that um you know is a, is a completely they, they always fly around um what, what's it called when you you there's no law in the sky like international waters or whatever it's called yeah yeah it, it always flies above international waters so no one can take it down and basically the people on there can just bet on whatever they want like ridiculous things and i thought oh this is going to be quite full on then so you got edge who at the start of the film goes straight to the cockpit, knocks out the pilot, and basically Steven Seagal's the entire film. And that every time yeah. it cuts to him, he just he's just sitting there flying the plane and talking into an earpiece. He does Jack Spratt for this film. Um and and then the, his team just do do the work. Uh one of them is like I said, uh, she's posing as like a hostess and she's sort of in the belly of the plane um trying to find the vault. And the other one is posing as a, a rich playboy. But he, he's just really nervous. So he's on this plane and he's kind of involved in the betting, if you know what I mean, as if he's just a high flyer there, just distracting everyone. There's a really funny Russian roulette scene. But what's really bizarre about this film, and it, it is, and I, and I kind of rewatched it because I thought I'm not, this is such a straightforward, bad action film. But there's something I didn't understand is they would say, okay, who wants to bet on the next event? And I'm assuming the director... Andrew Lawrence is trying to get some sort of mystery going because we're like, oh, what's this event going to be? If the first one's Russian roulette, what's the next one? But they kind of don't explain. So you've got a handful of people on there, like this mysterious Chinese woman and, you know, Edge's um, uh, friend and a few others, like a cowboy character. And they all just put, but nothing's explained. So they just say, oh, two million, three million. He's like, oh yeah, you know, five million, whatever. And then it'll cut to them watching like a, this is made in 2020 but like almost like a little pda screen like a tiny phone size screen and it'll be like two blokes in russia just sat at a table and then one of them will look at a camera and just like shoot the other one and then they'll say ah and you think well hang on i don't i don't know what's happening that's that's, what the stakes are there no what's the stake and what like I don't get what what's the bet. And they're all like this. They're all like that. Like it'll cut to like a bar and someone will just like start a fight and then they'll they'll go, ah, oh, 
as if they're aware of like this the sort of unheard rules and we're not is it an elaborate game of like what happens next or something i, I don't know i don't because it was none of it was interesting there's one of them there's a bloke and he's lying down what looks like in a in like an electrified cage but he never tries to get out and he like sits in the middle of it and then it cuts back to him and he's died Right. For no reason, he's just dead. And they're like, "Oh no, I've lost." And you're like, "Well, what was the what was the bet? <laughs> what, what did you lose, and how?" Yeah, what, oh wow, yeah. What was what was supposed to happen or not happen? Like what what? Um, and the whole thing is like that. It's bizarre. And then, yeah, they just kind of like get off the plane, and, they, and I was like, "Well, that was terrible." And and it feels, it just feels very setty. If you know what I mean, everything just feels very structured. Like it's just a like it's a TV movie and. Even if you're a fan of Edge, I've never. I know he did a TV show where he was a cop in Hawaiian shirts or something. But the whole film is like Kelsey Grammer's having fun, Thomas Jane is having fun, I'm not having fun. <laughs> and uh, but like, if you, I've got the DVD and I'm tempted to give it to you because I was just like, what are these? These games could be the centerpiece. You know, it could be it's just what's happening. Yeah, it's like it's the equivalent of them saying, right, you're four million dollars, and everyone goes, yeah, four or five million, and then someone like play snooker and they do a break and they don't pop anything and they kind of shrug at the camera and you're like well it's not very high stakes is it i don't know what's happening you remember in casino royale where obviously a lot of it is based around the game uh poker game right Mm. i don't know the rules i don't know what i don't actually know what's happening at any point in those scenes and yet the film through character interactions and like editing uh and the building of tension you kind of know what's at stake so you could still be kind of invested in it even though you don't know the rules if you like but if it didn't have that and i didn't know the rules and it didn't build any tension and there wasn't any kind of like dynamic context for any of it it'd be tedious so basically what you're saying is this is like being shown a game, but without having any of the rules or any of the tension around the game. Yeah, for instance, like I understand, I don't have to play Texas Hold'em, but I understand like Five Card Stud. It would be like if this was a film entirely about backgammon, and it was yeah. just people moving pieces and looking at each other and smoking and frowning. I think, well, I've, yeah. I don't know, I don't but know what's happening. Be, but without <laughs> yeah. being, as the audience, not being given any clues as to what each move is meant to mean. I genuinely, yeah, I, I, I have no idea, and and you're talking about like few like less than like twenty thirty seconds of footage, and it's just people in certain cities, like in a pub, or in a in like sat in an office, and they just either like they'll just like cut someone's hand, and just like what, but what I don't understand. Like explain the rules. It would have been so much better if they just said, okay, we've got these two people, and one of the one of them we've got their family hostage, and you're like, right, okay, I get the get the sticks. It's just, yeah. it's like it's all been edited out to the point that it doesn't make any sense. Like that one bloke just, just lying in a cage and then dying. He's just dead. He's lying there and he's like, he's sort of thrashing around and you're like, well, has he been poisoned? Is there gas in there? And then it cuts back and he's dead. And everyone just kind of either celebrates or says, oh, shucks, I didn't win. And you're like, what, what, what was happening? <laughs> Not even what was the bet? Like what? Yeah. So this um, is five pence. I think it was, it was either five or ten pence okay. from a charity shop, Money Plane, Star and Edge. Um, the other thing is, when the all everything is really bloodless and boring, mm-hmm. but but the woman when it comes to the to her fight sequences, they're oddly gory, mm-hmm. um, but it's all CG blood, so it's just Ooh. nothing. If you know what I mean, it's just, it just feels like nothing. Yeah, 
and looks ridiculous and sh- weirdly shiny. Yeah. Okay. Andrew La- Andrew Lawrence, by the way, uh, appears to be more of a actor than a director, and I can mm-hmm. see why after watching this. Right. Actually, wow. He. So this is this is Andrew Lawrence who um. Who, who directed Money Plane? I'm just scrolling down on Wikipedia, and he does voice roles in Battlefield 4, Dead Rising 3, nice. The Amazing Spider-Man 2, and Need for Speed Heat. So. There we go. Stick to the day job. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. Let's do another Pixar. Okay. Uh, this one's called Turning Red. Speaking of films which are not aimed at me. Uh, it's about a Chinese-Canadian 13-year-old girl named May, who is about to take her first steps into womanhood. Um And these first steps are collectively represented by her basically turning into a giant red panda whenever her emotions are heightened. Uh, Now, May wants to respect her mother and the legacy of her sacred forefathers, but she also wants to hang out with her friends and go and see her favourite band, the fictional Four Town. Um, And so it's really a question of can she suppress this panda enough to convince her parents that she should be able to go to this concert uh this was a film that was very tiresomely criticized in the puritanical wing of the right-wing press as being inappropriate for kids because it's supposedly a metaphor for periods uh but i think that's bullshit for a start even if it were it is literally about a 13 year old kid and it is for 13 year old girls so i don't really see what's wrong with that but anyway it's not i i think the like onset of menstruation is one possible change but actually the panda transformation is is also just a metaphor for all kinds of other changes that are going on in a 13 year old and it you know it could be the kind of gender to find expectation to keep her emotions in check or something like that. Actually, the the actual story is much more about May's relationship with her mother and cultural and social expectations and duty versus individuality, etc. So May is being pulled in different directions and it's represented as like the perfect student on the outside and the, the raging panda within. And you just have to think of like everything that the colour red can actually mean, of course, which can be blood, it can be romance, sexuality, rage, embarrassment all things that kind of factor into like a, a Bruce Willis film with a disappointing <laughs> sequel. There can be so many yes. things, so many. Uh, and uh, yes, it's reducing it to menstruation. is just simplistic and nonsense really. Anyway, but you're telling it, me, you're telling me a group of religious people leapt on something and kicked off. Yeah. Basically. I just have to write that in my notes. I've never heard about this before. Well, this is going to be a theme of these recent Disney output because they are they get a lot of criticism in the right wing press. And I, I, I mean, it, there was a bit of it with Luca, which I talked about a while back, which is a very innocent story about a friendship between two boys, and so therefore 
because they occasionally hugged then instantly it became like a gay relationship and like oh my god how can we watch this on the screen etc anyway this is so turning red is set in the early 2000s which is a bit alarming as a touchstone for nostalgia but here we are so the kids have like rudimentary mobile phones and they're still like sharing handwritten notes and stuff and then you got four town this uh, band that they love whose songs are co-written by billy eilish uh, who is i believe popular oh, these yeah, days yeah, yeah. um and they're pretty convincing recreation of like a wholesome early 2000s boy band uh quite catchy tunes now in terms of the visual style i know very little about anime but it the the visual style does sound to have these nice sort of like anime like pastel shades it seems kind of sailor moony is that that sailor moon was a thing isn't it um definitely a verb and also um if you say it's anime-esque are there any scenes where they leap in the air uh and as they fly up the background whizzes by them and they have a long tedious conversation there are actually scenes like that and they also do that cutesy eyes thing a lot with the uh where the eyes go all kind of like um as if they're crying because they're something so cute and and it, it's but that's the kind of it's all in keeping with the style of the film it's very very like abrasive and fourth wall breaking and and actually i think the film does quite a lot of new stuff really in terms of mainstream like disney's output like just the time period for a start and the cultural setting uh this sort of Chinese Canadian cultural setting and the focus on uniquely female concerns. Chinese Canadian. <laughs> yes. Yeah. What's this, so it's like a temple called? in Toronto. What's the film called again, sorry? Turning Red. And and the protagonist, mate, she's described quite early on as smart and mildly annoying. And it's kind of like the film itself in a way. It is smart and it is mildly annoying. And I think it's sort of meant to be, I think it's quite original. Well, until the ending, obviously, but that's just part of the course, isn't it? Um, And the fact that I can enjoy it while being so far removed from the target audience has got to be a good sign. So um, I think it's grown on me, this one. Oh, really? It stands up to repeated viewings, yeah. Because I think the first time you watch it, you're like, what? This is intensely irritating. And then you're like... Yeah, I suppose it is quite charming in its own way. And it is different to look at from other stuff I've seen from the Disney Mouse House. This film I just noticed has got two people in it it's got, that I love. It's got James Hong, mm-hmm. who is 94. Like, that man has been in films. He has been in movies. He has been in movies. It, and yes, he, he's instantly recognisable in this as well. He's I'm just trying to think what films I remember. I'm just I'm gonna go straight to the 80s because he was in oh Blade Runner, Ninja Three: The Domination, obviously The Golden Child, Big Trouble in Little China. Oh what a man! I mean, Tango and Cash. I need to watch Tango and Cash again. My word. I mean he was kind of playing. Wasn't he playing someone quite elderly in Blade Runner as well? Because he's the eye surgeon guy, isn't he? Yeah, that's 1982. So how, yeah. well, he's 94 now. How old would he have been? What 40 years? Yeah. Ago? Yes, he was. been yeah. That's just yeah. just, just what a that's going to be a sad day when he dies because he is yeah. really like listen. and the other person person i don't know if you want to type this into wikipedia rupert because he was in a tv show called grim and i thought when i was watching it with Faye, i thought oh no 
I hope that you don't burst out of the screen and have sex with me. Um, <laughs> his name is a guy called Sasha. I think it's like Roiz or Roith. Um, S-A-S-H-A-R-O-I-Z. He's got this like really milky voice and he's about six foot three and just just this really traditionally handsome man. And if he was in the bar, yeah, I think he, he'd be winking at the customers. He's a he's a winker. Um, uh, okay. Yeah, he is. Who, do, who does he play in this? Um... I don't know who plays in this, but in Grimm, he plays the love of my life. <laughs> All right. OK. Uh, yeah. OK. Excellent. Well, yes. Well, you don't, you don't, you don't, you don't, you don't fancy him, do you? I mean, yeah, he's not bad, but is he you in the choose, bar? You choosy git. Well, he looks a bit yes, young. He looks a bit young to be in the bar. Oh, he's forty-nine. So like, we'll we'll come back when he's sixty. We'll come, we'll come, <laughs> yeah. we'll come back in episode three hundred and six. Right. Salt, now he's got some salt him. and pepper on his face. <laughs> oh God. Um, okay, so yes, he, no, he, yeah, yeah, he's got he's got a look about him. I'll give you that. Yes. Sh- should I watch? Should I watch Turning Round? Uh, I think so. I think, yeah, I think it's worth a watch. And um, I, I think just the, like the the kind of like recreation the recreation of this like kind of music from that period is enough in itself, and the whole film looks gorgeous and. Is there Chinese flute in the soundtrack? Because I do love Chinese flute. There's a little bit. She even plays a flute near the start in quite an amusing way. So, but yeah, but it is abrasive. I, it's good fun. I found out recently that the tin whistle sounds disarmingly like a Chinese flute. So it's, you okay. know, I might have to listen. Got to gotta get those in my ears. Got to get those separated. I'm going to do a two minute trashing. Okay. Um, I, I'm not going to say who suggested this, but someone basically suggested uh, to, to Faye. Oh, you know, and when they found out I did a movie podcast, they were like, "Oh my God, he's got to watch Killer Sofa," and right. and 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 I was instantly like, "That right?" Because I know I watch a lot of tat, right? And I know I'm drawn to like action films and silly horrors and stuff like that. But there's something about when they're really self-aware, self-aware, and and it's like. Oh, we know this is silly, so we're just having fun. That's why we and, don't watch Sharknado and shit like that. Yeah, because you know it's just gonna it's it's almost like it's designed for a load of like American stoners to get around and giggle at like what is absolute bollocks because there's nothing it's not something great like Godfrey Ho stuff where it's just he's just like actually trying to make a film and just doing mm. bizarre things that are just <laughs> generally never been done in cinema before <laughs> and just trying to make fourteen films with thirty minutes of footage. This is this is like it's just too self-aware and yeah. it got about halfway through and Faye blessed like fell asleep my shoulder and I thought I feel like I've seen enough to talk about this on the podcast and also not just this film but films of of its ilk yeah I, I just whenever something's like killer sofa or there was a film a few years ago actually probably about 10 years ago now which is is actually a, a, a better example of the genre called rubber about a killer yes. tie like a yeah, car tie, which, yeah. that was actually good fun but this just falls into the category of it's just like a sofa that kills people. Yeah, it's like, selling. Like, it's, it's trying to sell itself with the title. It's like, oh, my God, what yeah. a crazy idea. Kind of reminds me of that new film, Cocaine Bear. Like, it's the same thing, isn't it? Like, where it's like, yeah. oh, that's a crazy idea. What a ridiculous high concept idea. Got to watch that. That's going to be crazy. 
when I'm smoking some weed. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, and also bands as well. I got I was scrolling through some social media channel earlier on and it said, Oh, band coming to Cardiff and they were just called fucked up and they just looked like five tedious people. And I thought, just stop trying to sell like you said, sell stuff by your name, your title. It just does like let let the art, whatever it is, in whatever genre and mediums just speak for itself. And mm-hmm. sometimes you look at a film and the title, like you say, it's not if I watched a film and it was called ninja shooty bang bang backflip i think oh, i'll watch that but if it was killer sofa sharknado where it's just a badly designed cover and for some reason this has got japanese um characters all over it as well and you think don't just it's just a shit film and it's just a boring film and i turned it off at halfway through and, and i i don't like it, it, it in my mind it falls into the same category as asylum movies yeah, it's the same thing. But it's Even, nothing fun about deliberately bad movies. That's really what it comes down to. Like, I like bad movies, but I don't like it when they're deliberately made that way, you know? That's why, you know, like, you can watch an Albert Pean film and you're thinking it's baffling and you're like, so terrible. But it's kind of, you keep watching because he clearly thinks it's not terrible. And he's genuinely trying to make something of, of like quality uh, and failing. Yeah, that's what. Like, Albert, so Albert P. And, and we and we kind of oh, he passed away, didn't he, recently? So he did. Like, we 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 loved him for it because like I'll yeah. happily watch his films. Like and and the thing is, with Albert P. And in the same way of, as Don the Dragon Wilson, like I. I don't want people to feel like this podcast is about like hacking away at people because. I generally would love to say, oh, my God, I watched this album. But like when I watched Postmortem with Charles Sheen, I thought, oh, this could be a cool horror. I mean, it wasn't, but but it was at least enjoyable and it was characteristic. Yeah. And the same with like I you know, with Godfrey Ho. When I watch a Godfrey Ho film, I'm more excited than when I watch a Christopher Nolan film, because I genuinely I genuinely don't know what's going to happen. I don't know. I don't know what's going to. I'm and going to see all reasons. Yeah. Yes. Well, and we watched Doll Man by. Albert Pearn, and you, you think to yourself, well, this isn't completely terrible from start to finish. So that's intriguing, at least, isn't it? So I believe, I believe that's what they had inscribed on his tombstone, actually. <laughs> but but uh, yeah, it's the, it's like, it's something like, uh, sort of corporate about. I don't like the idea of like people corporate suits taking our love of bad films and trying to like franchise it if you see what i mean trying to like uh fetishize badness yeah uh, let, let, people like shit films let's make shit films yeah let's make a series of sh- deliberately shit films because people like shit films that realizing that we part of the appeal is the fact that they're not trying to be shit in the first place yeah. It's, like I know, um, I know something like Commando has. It obviously clearly has, uh, like a sense of its own ridiculousness, but I don't think it's deliberately like some of the scenes in that film are deliberately shit. Like where you can see the wire hanging uh, around his on his ankle as he's holding him over the cliff and stuff. They didn't put that in deliberately. They just thought no one would notice. Also, in defence of that scene, this would have been on VHS. Yeah. So you wouldn't have seen that unless yeah. it was like 4K. But um, 
Yeah, again, but then Commando. Commando. I fucking dream of it. But then Commando is probably one of the best films ever made in 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 its niche, isn't it? It like in terms of like films that you watch with your mates. Like what what Killer Sof is trying to be, Commando is. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's one of the best action films ever made. Um, Can I do? I know. Can I do another quick two minute? Yeah, sure. Um, it's another one I turned off halfway through called One BR, directed by David Mamma, and this was a this was a film, and it, it's totally different to a Killer Sofa. This is a film about a, a girl who has moved away from her family who live in you know in sort of rural America, and she's moved to I think it's Los Angeles, and she's trying to become a costume designer in in the movies, and she finds this apartment. She goes to sort of a, a an open what they called open house viewing. And the guy, the, the guy who's renting the house, takes a shine to it, and she finds out that actually this, she gets the flat, and this community isn't really what it seems. And it's a little bit of a spoiler, and I'm not gonna, I don't need to spoil the film. But what happens is she moves in, and basically it's kind of a, a cult, right? And they take people, and I, and from looking at comments people have made, and from when I watched the film, it's almost a little reflection of Scientology, and it's all about. Um, sort of um brainwashing people and and using torture to kind of make them force them to realize that you know the world outside is bad and what we do is good effectively and i think the problem with the film was and the reason i turned off again faye blessed as she works like 13 hour days she sparked out my shoulder and i was watching it and i thought this film and we've talked about this before when the twist happens when the hand is revealed it just dies Mm-hmm. Yeah, the rest of the film you think i know exactly where this is going to go and i fast forwarded to the end and it did go exactly where i thought it was going to go oh. and it's just it, you know and there's only so often that you can watch a film or for so long where they they make you do something clearly unpleasant that's like painful and they say oh this this is good and then when her mind breaks and she just is willing to do whatever, they're like, oh, now you're part of our family. Like, this is so basic. This is, you yeah, know. Yeah, you've seen it's, a lot before. I'm like, stupid worldview. They put out a book written by someone that says, oh, actually, if we do this, then this will happen. And they just thought, there's, there's no layer here. This is just, this mm. is a completely superficial movie. And I just gave up on it. And that's all I wanted to say about it, really, is just sometimes a twist isn't enough and and i can imagine that they thought that people would come i wouldn't say come out of the cinema but come out of their living rooms because it's straight to dvd mm-hmm. and, and and have a real conversation with each other you maybe this is aimed at another demographic but i just thought this is far too basic for my for my tastes it just feels like it feels like the film is not as clever as it thinks it is it's a crap title what does one br mean that that's her apartment number. Okay. Rubbish, isn't it really? It's yeah, it's just it's, it's not. Ah, well, it's apartment number is one. Then it should just be called one. <laughs> it would be awkward. <laughs> it, it, it's um, it's well made. Like it's you know, yeah. Sort of the score's fine and it, it's very crisp and clear, but it just it doesn't look cheap. But it feels right. like the it feels like the concept is cheap. Yeah, there's something that's quite a common thing I find with a lot of straight to streaming films, especially. What's this one? What's this on Netflix? Straight onto Netflix, is it? Oh, do you know what? My brother teases me about this all the time. <laughs> I, uh, one day I'll remember. I, I'm going to say Netflix, yeah. 
Um, but it is something that's particularly common to Netflix is that you'll get with these lower budget horror films is they'll be well made and glossy, but so shallow and so like flimsy underneath the. And hammer, hammering home like what they think is going to be a talking point for like an hour and a half and you and after 40 minutes it's done and it just keeps repeating yeah. itself it, it just there's nothing to it that's bad okay i'm not going to watch that one br i'm going to talk about pinocchio now because i watched oh my god yeah faye watched this yeah she she yeah. was she was genuinely affected by this movie <laughs> so i watched T- pinocchio and pinocchio I, I went back to the 1941 version as well. Uh, is this? Oh wait, no, I'm terrible with Disney timelines. So the okay. 1941 version is that the animated version I'm yeah. thinking of? The, Probably the sort of, yes. And that was 41. I, Jesus Christ, that's good. Yeah, I believe so. Yeah. And but yes. Anyway, this 2023 one is a stop motion animation from Guillermo del Toro. And I know I'm doing kids films here, but this really isn't for kids at all, to be honest. It's like a very sad exploration of the, the, parental the, the, grief. Uh, like Set against the backdrop of Mussolini's Italy, no less. When, when I'll tell you this, right? I didn't say this last time, but the church scene, I was it's, done. Like I said, yeah. the same, I, I'm oh, not watching this because I will, scene, I will mean, openly, right? I will openly cry, and I can feel myself welling up. I'm going to bed. Yeah. Um, I I found it. I wasn't sure whether I was going to like this movie, but I did find it very visually arresting. And it was fast paced, actually. Full of slightly eerie show tunes as well. Um, So, yes, Pinocchio is obviously a puppet surrogate for Geppetto's dead son. And he has plans to go to school, but then he's tempted by the carnival life, courtesy of Christoph Waltz. Um. He's also being Pinocchio is also being sought by the army because because Pinocchio is immortal. He's sort of seen as a perfect soldier as well. Anyway, under Waltz, uh, Pinocchio ends up singing fascist propaganda tunes in the circus. There's this whole subplot with twin sisters played by Tilda Swinton as well. One gives I guess it's like the what is it? Blue Angel type thing. One gives life. The other exists in the afterlife to send him back to life, if you see what I mean. And all of that stuff's about Pinocchio's immortality, which points to this sort of underlying theme of the value of life. Uh, and the value of life being that it is, of course, finite. That's what makes it valuable. But because it is ostensibly a children's story, Del Toro gets away with his penchant for sentimentality, because he does have that, of course. Uh, and I found it a bit sickening in a film like The Shape of Water. But in this, I think he gets away with it because it is ostensibly for younger people. It's really, really beautiful to look at. It's like a creepy Jan Svankmeyer film, but with a massive budget. And I love how Del Toro like uses uh, hand-painted backdrops for like the... Uh, outdoor vistas and stuff instead of CGI. It, everything in the film just feels grubby and tactile. It's like all of the props and everything have been sourced from like an antique store. But yes, it's really not for kids. And there's a lot of pretty scary character designs and horror. Um, uh, 
because oh and also it's i mean it's driven as much by like existential ideas and oddball characters as it is by plot and i'd say if there's one thing that is a bit of an ish perhaps there's probably too much in there it's quite long and you get grief you get celebrity you get fascism war immortality and you even get some songs as well and i feel like perhaps one or two ingredients could have been removed to create something a bit more focused perhaps i'm wondering if the war scenes could have gone and maybe even the songs frankly because they're a bit forgettable but i liked it overall and although then re-watching the disney original from 1941 did highlight some of its flaws um because while del toro goes he, his kind of outlook he goes for pure darkness right with occasional punctuations of light or whimsy now the disney original is different he it, the disney original goes for whimsy but it's punctuated with darkness and i think that formula is a bit more effective and a bit less cynical as a worldview uh by which i mean uh, a worldview where like the horrors of existence are explicit all around us and only occasionally threatened by flashes of levity that's a pretty torturous outlook and that's almost a del toro cliche by this point uh I, I, it's like del toro he's saying that the world is nasty and you've got to hunt down the glimmers of hope but i think with the P- pinocchio 1941 it works better as a cautionary tale because it's saying be mindful of what's good and happy in your world but be wary that certain decisions could jeopardize that happiness and and like in the disney film it begins with this utopian vision for both pinocchio and geppetto but the problem with del toro is he doesn't really provide such a foundation as such he the world that del toro is presenting is like it's chaos and power struggles and existential strife right from the very beginning there's no kind of return to if you like uh so yeah it's del toro it's a world where like catastrophe is inevitable uh, and the ideal is impossible uh, and so pinocchio and geppetto they're kind of screwed regardless of their decision making and i felt like pinocchio 41 gets the balance a bit better it's a bit easier going it's a bit less cynical um and it holds up really well actually the 41 is very brisk and very funny and it has the dark edge of a classical fairy tale and it has the sorts of peril that would be pretty unimaginable in a modern animation not least when they're just chugging chugging on cigars uh, whilst before being turned into donkeys obviously uh and i think in a way cinema children's cinema especially has regressed by not it's all a bit sanitized nowadays but pinocchio is especially dark but uh yeah I, so anyway, in summary, Guillermo del Toro's film is good, but it is cynical and possibly a bit excessively dark. And I think the original gets the balance a bit better, but it is beautiful to look at and worth a watch, definitely. So so if you were just because like my, my, my two kind of um, interactions with Pinocchio have been through the conversation you know with you just now and Faye and Faye was 
she was really like, sh- shaken in a positive way by it. But I can imagine yeah. that Faye would go at it from an absolutely non-critical emotional sensibility. Yes. Um, especially because I know that, bless her, like I said, she works such long hours and she put it on and I thought she's going to be asleep in half an hour and I'll leave her to it on the couch, bless her. Yeah. Um, and she stayed awake for it, the whole thing. Wow. When I wasn't when I wasn't there to sort of prompt. So I thought, well, she's obviously really engaged with this. And like yeah. I said, the next day when I asked her how, how oh, what was Pinocchio like, she did this kind of deep breath sigh as if like whew, wow okay what am i gonna where do i start but your, <laughs> your, yours was very different and you obviously approach it from more critical eyes so just just to give the listeners a concept of what would you if you had to give guillermo del toro's um pinocchio a, a numerical score out of 10 what would you have given it uh seven hmm and the original Disney from 41? I think, yeah, just in terms of just like the efficiency, the briskness, the balance of light and dark, I'd give that an eight. Oh, nice. Okay. Okay, that's cool. I just yeah, I just wanted to, because you were talking about both, just to get a, like a, a sort of... Yeah, I mean, you've got to put them in context, obviously. Like, the modern one is just unbelievable to look at. But Okay. Yeah. Well, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go on now because you mentioned Gary Daniels earlier on. I'm gonna talk about Riot from 1996. Please. Um, and this is the one. This is one of those DVDs that that has got. It stars Gary Daniels and Sugar Ray Leonard, the retired boxer. This is 96. I, I don't know if he was still boxing then or not. Um, it's 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 a PM Entertainment film, which will come into play later on. Directed by um, Joseph Mary. It the. The version of the DVD I've got doesn't say it. Is, he, is Joseph Murray, is he one of the PM boys, in fact? Yeah, yeah. yeah he's, he's the he's M the, in the PM. He's the M. Who's the um, P again? Do you remember? It's no, another, just going to be another Israeli guy in it. I'll have to look at, yeah, I'll have to look at the producers. But there, this is one of those films where there's multiple covers with multiple taglines. And the one, if everyone wants to go, so Riot 1996. There's another film in 1996, which is about the Rodney King thing which is very different film to this but right now don't get darth ford i i've seen about five or six different covers for this film and they all say different things the the version they've chosen on the top of imdb is the worst possible cover but there's a cover uh the one i've got says you you can run but you can't hide which is crap anyway but there's one that says something like um when there's a riot there's only one man for the job and yet on the cover there's just two people um like it's just it's just Gary Jones and Sugar Ray Leonard, so you know one of them's gonna die, so the other person has a reason to uh, to carry on. So there's one look. as well, which is it's every man for himself, and yet they're standing with each other, clearly working together, and below them is an image of a large group of men also working together. It's not really every man for himself, it's just directly. I- well, the working title of this was actually team building exercise, and they they <laughs> changed it at last minute yeah. to riot. Um, there's this film, right? So the whole plot of this film is there's a riot in Washington D.C. and someone gets kidnapped, and Gary Daniels as an ex SAS, obviously in Washington D.C. they call up an ex SAS uh, soldier to go in and get them, mm. and it's just it's kind of a almost a uh, escape from new york sort of vibe going through it all right but there's so many i this is one of the few times that i made notes when i watched the film because i thought this i'll forget this and i have to remember these things 
Um, Gary Daniels unplaceable accent. Uh, like, I, I don't know why he sounds Australian. He's never lived in Australia. He is a British man who moved to America, and yet he sounds Australian. I don't know. It, maybe he spent too much time with... Who played Kane in Mortal Kombat? Trevor Goddard. He spent too much time with Trevor Goddard. That's what it was. Practicing American accents, and it bled into his natural dialect. And so the film starts off with... Uh, on the DVD menu, I, no- I noticed there was something amazing. The film... Nothing, I wouldn't say what's nothing to do with. The film is set in Washington. Gary Daniels is British, and in the film, it is you know, it's it, he is a British soldier. So naturally, the DVD menu is just Chinese flute, a synth version of Chinese flute. And I, and I forgot because obviously, usually when I put a film and I press play, I must have put this on and then gone to get a drink or have a wee or something. It's like looped. DVD menus were looped every like 15 seconds. I totally oh, forgot yeah. about that. Yeah. It, so this was like a real trip back in time. So I popped it on. Um, and at the start, there's a really extended riot sequence, like a really nasty riot sequence and um, flashes of um, like, I think the third Reich might be in there and it goes on for minutes, right? But it, but it doesn't actually say anything. If you know what I mean about, about like I didn't, it was just riots. And I was like, right. Okay, and then the film starts, and then and then it gets to like a newscast, and sh- the woman in the in the, um, the news anchor sort of says, "Oh, the last few day days, there have been riots in Washington, blah 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 blah." And Gary Daniels is looking at the screen, thinking, "Oh, you know, what a bunch of pricks, whatever." By the way, this is the film where do you remember we watched the Gary Daniels film, and someone slips a letter under his door. And he's just staring at a blank wall standing in the middle of his room. And then he turns and looks at it and it's like, what were you doing before the letter came through? <laughs> it's not, it's not that I think that's, I think that's fear city. So that doesn't happen in this film, unfortunately. So it starts off and Gary Daniels goes into his house and as he's walking, sorry, it's flat in like LA or whatever. And as he's walking, as he's walking down the, the sort of hallway, there's no, there's no command of set to show his skills or anything. It's just him walking to his bedroom or whatever. I thought, Bloody hell, that, that jacket is too big for him. The jacket, and, and it's like, and it's the same exact same jacket that Arnie wears in the first Terminator, with the shoulder mm. kind of buttons and the, and the pockets on the front, like a, like a black safari jacket. And I thought yeah. that jacket's too big for him. And then he gets into his room and he takes his jacket off, and I thought, oh, his jumper's too big for him as well. And there's a sequence where he's got his this black woolen jumper tucked in, and he, it's so big for him that he actually has trouble untucking it and getting it off. And I thought. Why did the costume? What? What? Like this is ninety six. What are the costume department doing? Anyway, so the way it sets up his after about ten fifteen minutes, the way it sets up his skill set. Bear in mind, this is an ex SAS soldier. Is his neighbor in this apartment complex as working late, and the kids put a pizza in, but they put the whole pizza box in the oven, so it starts to smoke, and they start panicking. He goes in and he turns the oven off. That mm. is like that's the setup. A man turning an oven off is the setup for like how <laughs> hardcore he is. And then it cuts, it cuts. And again, I made notes of this because it's little things, right? This whole review is going to be made up of little things that add up to a brilliant film. So he says, "Oh, you know, he makes some bad pun about the pizza." And it cuts to him saying, "Where's mum?" And it's clear that she's either like slightly neglective or she's a prostitute. I can't remember, but either way. He frowns at them, right? 
So you've got this beautiful, of course, it's PM Entertainment, so it's all shot on location, which is fantastic. You get the views, you get the sense of the area and the locations. And I noticed he ordered a Chinese for them to make up for the pizza thing. But these kids and him, they're sitting there and they've got like noodles on their plate. And each of them has got a full, like these enormous glasses, a full pint of milk each and a full pint of orange juice. (laughs) How was that decided upon? Who Like if someone's if you're like, oh, I've got a pizza and you're like, oh, um, yeah. Can I get a a full pint of milk and a full pint of orange? Like that's you're you're just going to spend the night having a wee. What a ridiculous mix of drinks for that meal. Um, so that happens. I just noticed that. I thought that was odd. And then, <laughs> point of milk with a meal as well. You would be yeah. full. I think you'd be that. You have your milk. You think, oh, oof, I don't think I got room. For I don't think I got room for this full pint of orange juice. Um, full pint as well. The kid picks it up with two hands and he's shaking. Yeah. It's so heavy. Um, <laughs> and that will be a full pint, no ice. Thank you very much. <laughs> to the top, room temperature. Um, and and then right. So then we, it cuts to these riots going on, and. Bernard, these rights have been going on for days, not weeks, not months, not years. And we we kept to like a desolate cityscape. <laughs> like the cars are on fire and like, people are just people have actually formed themed gangs <laughs> running around the street. It's not days. It's clearly been like that for years. And it's two girls, two burners in the back of a car in their late teens. Go, like apparently just going out and they say like oh apparently it's like really busy downtown blah 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 and they get one of the girls gets kidnapped right mm-hmm. and then they, they cut to like the pentagon because the girl right. they've kidnapped is a british ambassador's daughter which is why they get gary um daniels involved but there's a key sequence where they say oh we think it's a random kidnapping mm-hmm. um and they say that they say oh we believe it's just a random kidnapping after We've seen a VHS tape of the person who's kidnapped her, who was called like Shorty or something, saying, we've kidnapped the British ambassador's daughter and we want $10 million. And they turned to Gary Daniels, press stop, obviously, and hopefully they rewind it before they take it back to the shop, otherwise they're going to 20p charge, and say, oh, we believe it's random. And I thought, it's not, is it? They've just explicitly <laughs> just stated. Like, they, well. yeah, they just provide evidence themselves that you were all watched in this room. Um so yeah, um, and the film is set at Christmas, and I've got to say, I've said all this. This all happens in the first like half hour of the film. From then on, when he gets dropped off, it's actually like a pretty, like fast action movie that just goes on like a kind of sub Escape from New York, and oh, the, the fight, the fight sequences are solid. It's a it's a, it's a tight momentum driven plot. It's set at Christmas. It was technically a Christmas action movie, and. It's silly, but it's not bad. It's uh, the faculty sequences are good. The, the soundtrack's kind of funky, and you can see what's happening. And of course, mm. it's PM Entertainment, so it's all on location. It's all, you know, there's there's money behind it. And I, I was surprised. I thought, well, I'm actually watching a decent straight to DVD action film. Nineties PM Entertainment action <laughs> movie is the location perchance per LA. Well, they say Washington. Yeah. But I, I wager it's LA. And yeah, again, I it's, 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 it is. Well, this is a good this is a good Gary Daniels film. So if the Gary Daniels fans riot, local charity shop, five P, possibly ten P. <laughs> Get straight down your local charity shop. Or thrift store. As they would have it. Or flea market. Yeah. 
Or get the Blu-ray box set. We have five, five to eight K, five disc edition. <laughs> yeah. I would. Can you imagine if I said, "Oh yeah, there's a director's commentary," and it would just be like the director's commentary for like some of the films, Godfrey Ho, and it would just be a man occasionally sighing and then saying "fucking hell." That would be the. You'd be like, "Oh, it's not, it's not what I want." You're not giving away too much of the film. <laughs> um, let me talk about Dumbo. I this is two, a, I watched two least, versions of Dumbo as well. So you got the so the live action of the. I watched the um, when Axel was very very young. I watched the, I guess it's forties again. I think it's forty one again, yeah. Um, and I turned it off. Um, I halfway through, I just thought, I this just seems like a druggy mess. Um, <laughs> there is a scene. There is a bit of a druggy scene where he imagines. I don't know why. I can't remember what it is that triggers it, but he's imagining like pink elephants and stuff, which is odd. Because it was way before the psychedelic 60s bullshit. That yeah, that's what I thought. It was stuff. a 60s film. Like I said, I've got no... Um, I have absolutely no compass in terms of time for when, like, The Black Cauldron or Snow White and the Seven Dwarves. In my mind, oh. they're all 60s, 70s. But if it, in all Normally, famous, I wouldn't know The Black Cauldron, but that was the first film I saw at the cinema. So I know that was 85. But, yeah. I would... I'm, I was going to start. I was going to include the Black Cauldron this week, but I thought no. Okay, there's a limit to how many of these films I can. Oh, my, oh, by the way, a live update from Utah Smith. Yes. A message that says, "Fuck, in August I'm getting Tia Carrera to wish me happy birthday." <laughs> how? How much? How much for Tia Carrera? Sorry, he's thinking of Asia Carrera, which tells me you know about his past. It's actually Tia Carrera. Asia Carrera is the porn star. Yes. How? How much for a thirty second clip from Tia Carrera? Copy one fifty tops. Fifty quid. Ooh, that is a bargain. I would, I would, we could go twenty five quid each and get her to do an introduction of the podcast. We could, couldn't we? Send the yeah. money via PayPal. The men are talking <laughs> outlook dot com. Yeah. Um. So. So anyway, sorry, Karen. We'll Dumbo. keep the change. Um. Yeah. So. <laughs> you filthy animal. Dumbo. It's amazingly efficient. This film. Or just short, 63 minutes. That's short, that is. Are you talking um, about the new one or the old one now? This is the old one. Okay, sorry. Go yeah, on. the new one is definitely not 63 minutes. Uh, so it's the story of a big-eared elephant, basically. He's ridiculed by a circus. This causes his mother to lash out, and so, so they're separated. And it's basically an adventure story about Dumbo trying to be reunited with his mother. It's quite beautifully animated. Um uh there's there's a racial stereotype warning at the start which got me a bit confused because i I didn't really pick up on the racial stereotyping there is a bunch of like um crows towards the end who but they just seem more like kind of working class joe kind of people who are nice and helpful i didn't think that they were stereotypes racial stereotypes particularly although apparently one of them which I didn't, which I did not pick up on. One of them is actually called Jim Crow, which is of course a racist theatre character persona from like 19th century. Uh, so yeah, maybe it was racist. Uh, anyway, I, but I don't think on its face, I don't. If you watched it now, you would really think it came across as a particularly problematic film. 
it's kind of the opposite of Pinocchio in a way, because Dumbo, of course, ends up being empowered by his big performative moment, which is, of course, when he flies with his ears. And that's what brings it back to his mother. Whereas in Pinocchio, it's the other way around. He ultimately like resists celebrity in order to return to his father. So it's quite an interesting like um, juxtaposition between those two films, which came out in the same year, of course. And then there's Dumbo 2019. I won't spend too long on this. Uh, there's some talent here. Tim Burton directing. She's got Danny DeVito playing this circus dude, Medici. He's got Colin Farrell as the father figure. He's got Eva Green as a service, uh, circus performer. Vampish, obviously. And then it's got Michael Keaton, who's just chewing the scenery and wearing a white wig. Uh, as this evil entrepreneur... It's almost twice as long as the original and it is overstuffed with needless subplots and intrigue. And it does just butcher the simplicity of the original. And it looks awful, I'll say. It's virtually all green screen, not unlike Albert Pean's Interstellar Civil War, I'd say. So, but most depressingly, I think it shows how far Tim Burton has fallen in terms of being like, a reliably interesting cinematic voice because I look back at his output over the last couple of decades and I think well other than like something like Frankenweenie what's he done in the last 20 years that couldn't have been done by just any other hack really and even Frankenweenie was a remake of a film he'd already made in the 80s anyway but yeah this his output at best nowadays, it looks like an homage to his own 90s output. But at worst, it's this empty, saccharine, laptop crafted crap like Dumbo and Alice in Wonderland and Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Uh, his, his Wikipedia entry is bizarrely like blocky text. Like it's a scroll. scroll. It's, it's enormous. I've never, seen, I've never seen a Wikipedia entry. Look at it now. Go, go on Tim Burton's Wikipedia. Okay. It's like scroll, scroll. It's bizarre. It's like it's like a fan is just, just scroll, 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 scroll. Enormous blocks of text. Yeah, there is. There's a lot going on there. Well, the last, the last thing, the last. Oh, sorry, that's the award section. I'm just looking at it. Yeah, Challenge Hot Factory, Corpse Bride, Sweeney. Sweeney Todd, I remember watching. I mean, Dark Shadows was just like, whatever. It's not, it wasn't particularly funny. It was like, that's what I mean. It just feels like a, these, a lot of these films are just homages to his own work, which he did so well in the 80s and 90s. So, I don't know. Um, anyway, pretty depressing. There's no point in watching the remake of Dumbo. It's essentially essentially the same thing, but just so it's got the same schmaltz, but without the saving grace of only being an hour long. Uh, Yeah, so it's not really worth it, even though, you know, it's got Michael Keaton in a wig. So even that can't save it. So not really worth it. Just stick with the original, I think. Okay. which may or may not be racist. (laughs) <laughs> I'm not at sure. At least get a warning at the start. 
<laughs> oh, oh yeah, of course they do that, don't they? They say, they "Oh, by by the way," and then it's a gif of a man baring his teeth and inhaling through gritted teeth. <laughs> um, well, I suppose my next movie. Well, actually, I've got to prepare for this because this was a movie um, selected uh, for me by our occasional co-host and constant lover. Laszlo Buckets and this is a film from 1991 called Stone Cold starring Brian Bosworth and I've mentioned before in the podcast that I used to work in a video store when I was in my teens and the only Brian Bosworth film I've ever had any awareness of is a film called One Tough Bastard which for some reason I never watched and I and I will now because Stone Cold is absolutely brilliant what a movie it is and laszlo told me after i told him i said thank you so much for that it's free on youtube by the way if you want to watch this stone cold the movie brian bosworth 1991 it's just on youtube to watch no ads nothing just smash into it um brian bosworth i I had no idea about this brian bosworth is um an ex an ex uh, like nfl player who went into movies and if you want to on cameo it's 125 quid by the way um that just just went into movies and apparently they made this movie the same time that um 91 so what was this that john claude van damme was making one of his films the same company behind them i'm gonna find this out live now so john claude van damme was making one of his double films impact or maximum impact or that one where he's looking for a dodgy set of kegs on a boat what a career highlight that was um Again, it's bloody right. So it's two nineteen eighty one. So that it was, it was double impact. The one where he plays like a camp brother. If you remember yes, that yes, one. Yes, yes, yes. So the I'm production company, the com- the company behind them. Um, I, who is it? So production visit Vi- 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 Vista. Buena Vista. I don't. Know. Whoever it was, Columbia, whatever. They yes. thought this was going to be the big hit. Brian Bosworth ah. in the film. Um. And apparently, it could have been Buena Vista. Okay. Vista. I, look, when it comes to this sort of side of movies, I will completely be on your side, whatever you suggest. Yeah. I, d- I don't know whether... I'm not sure if Buena Vista was... Is that an offshoot of um, Disney? I know Touchstone was an offshoot of Disney. Are you, uh, are you doing the research? I'm going to ch- I'm gonna check it out now. Buena Vista. Oh, God. Well, there's a lot of references to Buena Vista around the world. Buena Vista, yeah, it is part of, Buena Vista is part of Walt Disney. So, anyway, yes. So, uh, the first, before I even go into the film, I've got to talk about Brian Bosworth's hair. It is, it is an absolute thing to behold in this film, right? It's like, uh-huh. the cover of it on Wikipedia doesn't do it justice. It's... It's like a teddy boy bouffant where it's all like swept up and into each other, almost like it, like, like he'd have to have rollers in it at some point. But then it, it's a mullet that sort of curls inwards and upwards at the back. It's so elaborate. And he, in this film, plays a cop uh, that is, you know, it says on Wikipedia, frustra- his name's Joe Huff, because he's always in a bloody huff. Um, frustrated with the system, blah blah blah. Um, who gets who because of the way he looks and because of his build, he has got a fantastic physique. He, as a cop, gets taken is sort of fits into biker gangs, 
and, and takes them up from the inside. It's set in Alabama, so he's known for taking up biker gangs who are getting into the drug trade and, and ripping them apart from the inside by going undercover. Yeah, um, yeah. He, we talk on this podcast about movies that show poor policing. <laughs> there is not a fucking sheet of paper or a pencil in this film. <laughs> he does nothing. It starts off... <laughs> It starts off and, he, and and there's a really nasty um, robbery in a supermarket and he just walks in and just takes them all out. Just just shoots one of them in the chest with a shock and just blows him away in in the tom- tin tomato aisle. And I believe I sent this clip on one of our WhatsApp groups where he takes out one of the robbers by putting a can of beans on the floor. And the robber slips mm-hmm. on it and he slips and, the, and then it cuts to the stunt. And he he is he doesn't slip. He is fired out of a catapult, at like a, 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 a sort of a pyramid of, of tinned goods. Uh, it's a fantastic, and everything in this film, every possible stunt, it is like people. If there's a bike accident or someone gets kicked, they they shoot out of an off-screen catapult. They hurt all through the sky. So many stuntmen must have died, but. But Brian Bosworth goes undercover uh, with this biker gang. This, this it, quite wisely, I'll say, this is 1991, and the biker gang, headed up by Lance Henriksen uh, with his with his wingman William Forsyth, yes. are they're supposed to be sort of neo-Nazi white supremacists. But the film really underplays that, and I'm really glad for it because it, you can, in, it's sort of intimated but it's not the focus so it's not a nasty movie if you know what i mean it's like right, yeah. oh they're white supremacists there's no black guys in the gang but it's more about them against congress and you know the man as opposed to it really focusing on like nasty racism and like slurs which is pretty good for the time i have to say because yeah. otherwise it just kind of chips away at the enjoyment if you know what i mean it really dates it um lance henriksen is bizarrely convincing apparently wrote a lot of his own dialogue and of course he's got that weirdly scrawny physique and he's got like a little wig on and a bandana and he's got this kind of like druggy sort of sensibility about him this weird looseness that works brian bosworth is one of the most weird screen presences i've ever come across because he is built like a brick shit house. he's got this preposterous like old lady in the 40s hair that just dyed blonde and he's got these like dangly earrings in but when he talks, he kind of, I might have to record it. He, he, depending on the volume at which he talks, he sounds like other actors. Mm. <clears throat> like it might be a touch of Dolph Lundgren or if he's talking quietly, it's like Vin Diesel. And sometimes I thought, is that Bill Paxton? And, and and it's like, it's bizarre. And the stunts are fantastic. The plot is just laid out and then just rolls along. It's all shot on location. There's loads of stunts. He he is a bizarrely compelling screen presence because he's so idiosyncratic. Um, and I watched this film like start to finish, eyes open, thoroughly enjoyed it, and thought, well, now I have to watch all Brian Bosworth films, don't I? Like that's that's how this is going to work. So I have to a huge thank to Laszlo Buckets for this because Brian Bosworth, I just I've known him from like I said, one tough bastard, but it, yeah. it's. He cannot act. The end of this film, where they go to Congress, is I've never seen. You know, from *Dust Till Dawn* starts off, and it's like a kind of a quippy gangster film. Yes. yes. All of a sudden, it's a comedy horror, right? This film, when when Lance Henriksen says, "Right now, we're going to Washington D.C.," 
it, it's like it rips the lid off bonkers. There's a scene towards the end where Brian Bosworth is in the, in the back of a plane. Bear in mind, he's about six foot four and wider than most terraced houses. And they've tied him in handcuffs. And they've, they, they say, oh, we're going to bring you along so you can see your world come down as they attack Congress. And they've, they've put his handcuffs, they've looped them through all of the wiring of the helicopter. So when he just wrenches... <laughs> wrenches the handcuffs off they're like oh no the helicopter's fucked <laughs> and it's like well yeah because obviously he's going to try to escape and you've basically tied him to a fuse box so <laughs> in the end they're like oh no and he, he oh, this is amazing rupert above like washington what what's it called the white house the, the helicopter is easily between 80 and 150 feet in the air he jumps out goes through a glass stained glass ceiling lands on his feet dead straight and just starts shooting everyone and i thought i am home this is for me this is what i want and it's just a series of preposterous shootouts and consisting of multiple times where a, one of the biker gang members will like roar at him like and driving him on a on a bike indoors while he is pointing a shotgun at them and you think you might be driving a bike. He is going to shoot you. He is <laughs> going. And it happens over and over. And I was just thinking, yes, yes, yes. And fair play. I, it's obviously a stunt double. Lance Henriksen, always double, take hell. And it's it's very specifically in slow motion. A hell of a two-story fall and a tumble down what is very clearly marble steps. Ooh. Oh my god, I was wincing watching it. This is an absolutely fantastic action film. I thank you and I love Lou Lazlo Bucket Laszlo Buckets. And I am now going to dip into all of Brian Bosworth's oeuvre. So you not only discovered a hidden gem, but also a whole new world of well Bosworth what you want of hair. Like a whole new Bosworth canon, really, now. It's, it's whole everything about him. I don't know if he had any input into the film, but apparently he's quite a, like it's an idiosyncratic character. And I know that a lot of money was, as, as Laszlo said, they they turned away from Double Impact. Like this is going to be the big one, and I'd argue yeah. that like, this is. But and I know that's not true, but apparently he was known for having radical hairstyles. And there's constant scenes in it with just his clothes. You think that's not normal? Like there's a bit where an FBI agent knocks on his door, who you'll recognise. He's just like rent an I a rent an FBI agent. And he's wearing a Speedo. And the joke is that he's opening the door wearing a Speedo sort of thing. But even that is like a really bizarre design with like two, like two, it's like a two really thin straps and a thong at the back. And it's like, it's like he doesn't care. And and the whole film, it's like he's acting like he doesn't really care what's happening. And it's really oddly compelling. Um, and of course, match that with a load of stunts and generally fun action scenes. And it's an absolute winner. So, I am now a Brian Bosworth fan. Thank you, Laszlo. Excellent. Uh, my final film is a Disney Animation Studios film from 2022 called Strange World. And it's a sort of retro futuristic type adventure thing about a family called the Clades. Uh, various generations they 
need to go on this subterranean adventure um to sort of doug mcclure style um to save their key energy source uh which um called panda or something like that anyway on the way the dad of the family will reunite with his own father so the grandfather who is like a missing explorer who basically disowned him when he was young and there's various intergenerational cat clashes that will occur between them family members uh, as they traverse a very surreal environment uh lots of bioluminescent blobby creatures and stuff and there's good voice cast in this it's got jake gyllenhaal dennis quaid lucy lou alan tudyk he's, a, he's a winner alan he's tudyk or, is a winner he doesn't care does he it's a massive flop for disney in 2022 oh, really? yeah various theories as to why I think personally a big part of it is it's sort of got this visual style or visual touchstones maybe I should say to like 1960s adventure serials that kind of thing which oh with, th- what's that what's that Simpsons concert reference like Doug McClure so uh, yeah like he, they do Troy McClure in that don't they Troy McClure, yes yeah. yes so yeah I suppose there's a bit of it definitely is a bit of the, the, the Doug McClure about it, but perhaps also Lost in Space, things like that. Um, and fine, but and I think it was marketed quite poor, poorly. Um, but again, I, unfortunately, we're going to have to come back to the other issue that the right wing press are suggesting that is the problem here, which is the uh, LGBT content in this film, because obviously that's the key difference. Um <laughs> Uh, like uh, I mean I suppose like in Lightyear if you remember there was a big controversy about that because there was a like blink and you'll miss it same sex relationship in there and that was massively overblown Um, with this it does it does have a bit of uh, a progressive diversity like tick list feel to it um because you've got interracial parents with a gay son and they've even got a disabled dog (laughs) and then and then that's before you get to the climate change message and it is a bit like uh what is it like theme of the day uh it does feel a bit that way but none of that would matter anyway the problem the real problem with it is it's got an extremely irritating script and so regardless of what whatever you think about the characterization in terms of all that other stuff the script is really irritating the characters are intensely annoying so the way that for example the characters keep commenting explicitly about how weird and crazy and awesome the world is it's like yes okay we can see it before our eyes you don't need you saying oh my god this is crazy or oh my god that's amazing and things like, it sounds like infinite where they're constantly just explaining uh, them explaining like they're the, like the telling us how we're supposed to be feeling and so you remember that bit in cloudy with the chance of meatballs uh well one and two where they got that joke where something amazing happens in the sky and all the characters kind of do that gasping face look mm. it goes on a bit too long that kind of gets around that whole thing instantly with one joke and it's done but in this, it's just mm. constantly, constantly having to make direct reference to how 
oh wow that's incredible like this is such an amazing play etc it's written by uh key and guyan who also wrote raya and the last dragon which is another disney film with intensely irritating characters so maybe there's something going on there but then you've got this so you've got this really irritating script combined with suffocating sentimentality and there's ostensibly there's physical peril all around them but it quickly becomes obvious that the only real threat is emotional uh there's some cool creature designs but ultimately it's kind of like pandora from avatar but without james cameron's guiding hand and without stephen lang frankly now naturally by the end uh the humans are the real bad guys and i think this is the bit that uh, i don't give a shit about the uh all the rest of the stuff about them the hero being gay and stuff like that because it makes no difference to the the film what make, does make a difference is the really heavy-handed climate change stuff towards the end which feels like a passive aggressive lecture frankly and i know disney not doing bad guys is now a thing but you get a real sinking feeling when you realize that the bad guys are obviously going to be humans themselves. It just feels like a cop out. And also I just think Disney, Disney. Yeah. Okay. Looking after the planet is one thing, but being told that the importance of living differently by a mega corporation whose existence relies on mass produced plastic merchandise and on flying customers out to its colossal tax breaking theme parks is a bit rich frankly so that's why that pissed me off because i'm thinking don't lecture me please this is why well it's one of the reasons why superman 4 was so terrible because it was a lecture but um anyway but that's a big spoiler but i don't care because it's not a very good film yeah they're going for this 60s retro future vibe which isn't necessarily like box office death because something like the Incredibles did that quite well. But I think if they go for that vibe, right, I think they should have, and it is a spoiler to say it, but I think they should have marketed this as a reboot of fantastic voyage and just written about a script. And that would have been a better movie, but they didn't. It, do you know what you just said then, I, I always have a problem moving into the, the medium of music with them. Um, they said when, when, politics or like an agenda is kind of pushed yeah it's, it's like an excuse for simplicity so yeah because oh like, yeah because it's heartfelt enough then that's okay yeah and, and only and this is this not not a plug but for no real reason i i came across a 1974 live version of a song called almost cut my hair by mm. crosby stills nash and young csmy and it's a perfect example of a few things of of a political song done well because the lyrics are slightly sort of um, oblique and mm. aren't just like on the nose. And it it's also shows a good usage of three guitarists in a band where they're not all just playing chords, yeah. uh, where you could just tell two of them to fuck off and turn your amp up a little bit. Um, so it, it just, and I thought, oh my God, a good example of like a political message that's so refreshing. And that's from 1974. And I know even when something gets really, it's like when they, when a message is sent, it's like, oh, it's okay. We can kind of be really lazy and on the nose now because it's, <laughs> yes. a, because it's a message. Exactly. That, no, you just can't means, because yeah. it's just a lot of shit, isn't it? A lot of basic yeah. shit. Yeah. But the, so, but what's, I think what's uh, interesting about this film is that obviously, like I mentioned that obviously you've got like this like, checklist 
of um, kind of progressive issues, which and it handles a lot of them really well. Like it complete all this stuff about the kid being gay and it's totally normalized in the film. It's not an issue film. So that's great. And then it's got uh, obviously the interracial pair of parents. And that is completely normalized. That's great. All that stuff because it's sort of depoliticized. So it has uh, a, like a positive effect. And then you get to the 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 part where it becomes lazy and it mm. just does in suddenly it does have an agenda and it's like, ah, right. OK, so you've gone from being a film of annoying characters and not especially interesting uh, like action events, uh, but possibly watchable to something which is actively lecturing me. Uh, and it, this is like this huge corporation which has sold me plastic toys, let alone the other millions of customers sold plastic toys to. It's like, screw you, Disney. Don't give me that. So Strange World is not very good, but not for the reasons that some people would say. You fucking hippie. <laughs> I only watch Hungarian black and white films with no sound of the tally turned off. <laughs> gather round kids <laughs> gather round I'm going to turn the telly off and sit in total silence with the windows slightly open so that it imagining whistles imagining a Hungarian film <laughs> yeah, shutting your eyes and occasionally laughing and go, <laughs> great stuff as the kids all like look at each other frowning and, and just occasionally looking at the window whistling in the background Um, we, we can't shut the window we, we can't afford it <laughs> can't afford um, the effort to shut the window yeah, um, yeah that's got, it for me okay I've got one more movie uh, are you okay to stick around for that you got time yeah sure you ready to rock unfortunately <laughs> it's not Fear City it is The Menu a 2022 film yeah. that's on either, either Disney Plus or Netflix I forget um, I this was a bizarre because I sat down with Faye and we, we had we had a beautiful takeaway if, if you live in the Cardiff area noodle box the man who packs the noodle box, uh, like boxes, it's like he hates them. Like he's, like, you can imagine him thinking, "There's not enough food. You get in there, you fucker. You get in there." And he's forcing in those prawns. <laughs> it turned up. It almost defeated me. So yeah, noodle box is wicked in Cardiff. Um, it is nice. So we, so we were watching. Um, just fancied like a, a just a like a a boom, a thriller, a like what's going on sort of thriller. So the the premise of the menu is stars Ray Fiennes. And Nicholas Holt, uh, it's produced by Will Ferrell, I've just seen. It's directed by Mark Mylod. I've never heard of that name. Have you? That's the first time I'm seeing him. No, it doesn't ring a bell. Let's have a little toot. And he has, he's been kicking around for a while. Oh, he's directed episodes of Game of Thrones in succession. So I guess this is his first um, foray into into the movies. And it's uh, it's an area in which he should stay, quite frankly. Um, it's, a, it's marketed as a comedy horror, but it's more of like a, just like it's, it's there's, there's comedy in it, but it's through dryness more than anything else. It's more of a thriller than a horror. Um, Rafe Fiennes is an absolutely like world class chef, like like completely top of the line. And Nicholas Holt and his partner managed to get spaces uh, in a, in a private sort of eatery, if you will. Uh, so they go there. The boat pulls off from this island. It's got this purpose built restaurant. 
and it soon becomes clear that they're, they're all going to die that, that, that this is like the final meal and, and everything every course i think there's like five or seven courses and all every course is a kind of metaphor for part of Rafe finds life and um a uh, a nod towards each of the people there uh they're all different groups so i'm not going to go too much in into the into the, the spoilers beyond that but what i will say about this film my god it makes you want to eat and drink that there's casual references to wine which i'm drinking right now but that when i was watching this film at the end of it a cheeseburger is made or at some point a cheeseburger is made and i turned to faye and she said yes we'll make homemade cheeseburgers tomorrow it it does that it does that thing of just making you want to eat and i love that in films where you just want very specific meals um it's really high concept and i can imagine some people would dismiss it as being because the whole idea is kind of quite silly mm-hmm. but the way it's filmed and this weirdly haunting soundtrack it's not it wasn't an amazing film but i couldn't stop thinking about it for some reason i kept on thinking my mouth's watering now thinking about the way the food is presented and and, and the sort of elitism of the whole thing mm. rafe finds american accent is wobblier than a fat kid holding a jelly on a bouncy castle. It is it is everywhere. And I said and at one point I paused it and said, Faye, I really wish like it's the one part of the film you think why you can be English, it's fine. You don't there's no reason for you to be American at, at all. And it's just he's put on I don't know like he must be like approaching sixty. He cannot do an American accent. You know when they roll the uh, they come to the R's and there's something yes. about where they are. You're like you're not American, there's no need for it. Like it just it just detracts from That's the bizarre. film. Yeah, why would he why? Is there any reason why he should be American. The, the only reason I can think of is that it's a primarily American cast, and maybe he is meant to have this um, a, a sort of an American influence. But why could he just be a British person moved over there? You know, it, uh, in his teens, it makes it's it really every time he speaks, and especially because of the way the film is structured, that a lot of it is like a dong is rung. What are they called? A gong is rung. Sorry, and he steps out in front of the restaurant, and then and then majestically um explains the next course and the meaning behind it the metaphors behind it so you're very much drawn to his diction and you think don't just don't have an american accent i wish there was another cut of this where he just spoke in his own accent and it would just make the film better it's the first time i've ever thought that you know like i've watched dracula Mm. with keanu reeves and i to be honest right i have no problem with it because i'm assuming back in those times everyone spoke like this and i've got no problem with that at all i'm happy to admit there's nothing wrong with keanu reeves accent or when on a writer so everyone shut the fuck up about that (laughs) then is a problem it is a problem because every time he speaks and and he's got reverb on his voice and it's echoing and the cameras the camera is beautiful in this film the the way the restaurant's lit with these open fires Mm. it is sumptuous for the eyes and for the mouth and then he opens his mouth and you think why are you putting on a bad american accent but that said i can't stop thinking about it for some reason and Mm. If anyone wants to watch this, it's either on Netflix or Disney Plus, I forget, and they want to email the men who talk at Outlook.com. There is a reason this film is oddly as Moorish as its menu, and I do not know why. Yeah. I, 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 there's something delectable about some of the 
food photography you see on the place like it's cameras nowadays they can capture things they can capture yeah. beads be it can cancer, capture individual grains of white pepper dancing on the surface of a lasagna and it's just yeah the thing that. is obviously the, the listeners don't know this they've heard my voice for probably over a year now but they probably don't realize that i'm actually eight and a half stone and yeah. I have no interest in food and no interest in food and I drink only tepid tap water. So for me to be interested mm. in, in a cheeseburger being fried is, is bizarre. Quite well, exactly. It's weird, isn't it? Because it's yeah. something beyond your realm of understanding because I don't think you've ever eaten a burger in your life. My breakfast is a deep breath and a positive thought. Uh, <laughs> so I, yeah, it's definitely not a fry up and a heart attack. Um, <laughs> so with that said, we're both done. We're spent. We have nothing left in the tank. Yeah. We are empty vessels as we move to the Arkansas. The Arkansas, which is yeah. Roy Scheider to Adam Driver. Yep. And I have three responses, two written, one verbal. Okay. Um, so I'll do the two written first and then I will move to the verbal. So. Oh, it, oh, may be, well, it may be an idea if I go with my first. This is a bit of a weird one because. I'm not sure whether mine's a guess. Really? Have you not yeah, even I've gone for a guess? I think I thought. Oh, let's have a go. Have a go at this. I'm quite sure. I've got a feeling. Let's have a go at this, like you're not a co-host, and this <laughs> yeah. is your, your fucking job. <laughs> uh, Roy Scheider is in Marathon Man with Dustin Hoffman, who may be. Well, I know. Dustin Hoffman is in the Myrowitz story stories. I think Adam Driver might be in it too. Well, hang on, hang on. Start again and say that more clearly. Roy Scheider is a marathon man with Dustin Hoffman, who may be in the Myrowitz stories with Adam Driver. So this is this could be a two stepper. Yes. The reason how, I, you, the reason how, I haven't seen the Myrowitz stories, but how, how I know that Dustin that? Uh, M-E-Y-E-R-O-W-I-T-Z I know Dustin Hoffman's in it and it's directed by Noam Baumbach see who we were talking about last week and of course oh, yeah. Adam Driver was in White Noise Marriage Story, Francis Ha so I'm guessing he may be in the Myrowitz stories as well <laughs> and if he is, this is a two-stepper if he's not, I've failed completely uh, can, I, can I say two things, right? Firstly, I'm Genuinely, as as co-host and the person that did all the editing and the work of this podcast, I I just want to say that I really admire the fact that you didn't look this up. I love that. I love the well, fact that you, you kept committed that. to this. You know, You've really committed to it. And I also want to congratulate you on having a two-stepper because he <laughs> plays a character called Randy in this film. Oh so that God. is that's we'll really good. Oh dear, high five! So you've got a two-stepper. Sometimes you just got to roll with it, haven't you? And I know that uh, as Laszlo listens to this reveal, he is going to be driving somewhere, listen to this podcast, and he's going to be muttering the word fuck. Because all I've had of him this last few weeks is, I can't do it. It's five, five steppers, six steppers, seven steppers, eight steppers, nine steppers, <laughs> more steps than Michael Flatley. And um, he did send one in. Laszlo Bucket said, I, <laughs> you know it's going to be a good one when it opens with, I give up. 
Here is a lousy four-stepper. Roy Scheider, who was in Jaws with Robert Shaw, who was in The Sting with Robert Redford, great film, who was in Captain America Winter Soldier, lazy, because it goes to Marvel as far as I'm concerned, with Scarlett Johansson, who was in Marriage Story with Adam Driver. Have you seen Marriage Story? I have. Would yes. I like it? Would I like it? Um, Maybe. Or, or I, is it? Is it Scarlett Johansson standing in a room looking at Adam Driver saying, is your face melting? <laughs> uh, it's, yeah, it's quite heavy. Uh, uh, right, okay. It's one of the, yeah. You know, it, it's, it's, but it's Noah Baumbach. So again, like, it's not, yes, it's kind of got its depressing observations on, uh, like, the human condition but it, it's also ultimately quite hopeful so it's worth uh, watching i think before i move on before i move on to max's arkansas i just want to say in regard to adam driver i have no idea why i witnessed this but if you type in I, I guess if you typed in like adam driver um ted talk he does a really compelling talk about his time as a marine and it ends bizarrely. He is it's this the way he talks is you can see why he's an actor. He's he really commands the room. And at the end of it, he introduces a a drummer and a poet, and they perform a so I guess like a, a musically accompanied poem called I Am Not Batman. And the whole thing is just completely it just is fantastic. So, mm. yeah, Adam Driver TED Talk, absolutely worth a watch. Just to learn more about Adam Driver and um, and, and his uh, machinations and drives, ironically. Uh, Max's Arkansas was Roy Scheider is in Jaws with Richard Dreyfus. Richard Dreyfus is in American Graffiti with Harrison Ford. And Harrison Ford is in The Force Awakens, in brackets, uh-huh. Star Wars Episode 37 with Adam Driver. <laughs> And we've had this from uh, Utah Smith. Again, thank you for the cameos. This is Utah Smith's Arkansas. Will he beat you, Rupert? Has he got a two-stepper? Sorry, I've got completely confused. I was just rethinking all that. Roy Scheider is in (laughs) French Connection with Gene Hackman, who is in The Conversation with Harrison Ford, who is with Adam Driver in the Star Wars. Yeah, I should have written that down. I got myself all confused. I should have written that down. Famous words. I, I did like the sort of tense, <laughs> tense breaks in that as well, yeah. between each actor. But because as it was the tense breaks allow people to like completely flutter through their mental roller decks of who, who could be coming next. Um, <laughs> a, a lot of, I like the French connection, the conversation, a lot of classic 70s. Uh, yeah. Oh, what's the word? So, uh, paranoia films, basically. Yeah. Uh, which are my favourites? People on bed smoking fags and panicking. Thank you, Ned Beatty. Um, yeah. So you've won, Rupert. You, you know, this is. I believe it genuinely. I know we take the piss about the audience kicking your ass. I think this is the first time you've won an Arkansas, a game of our own creation. I think in it's the a, first it, time in a while. It, it's in in about a year and a half. I think. <laughs> <laughs> so um. Yeah, so there were a few three steppers, a few four steppers. You and what was the what was the winning two stepper you had again? Marathon Man to Myra's stories. 
I've never heard of that film. Absolutely never. Well, well, shall I watch Marathon Man? It, it's actually on oh, yeah. yeah, should yeah, I? Because okay, that's I, a 70s, uh, it's a paranoid 70s thriller with a strange performance by Laurence Olivier as well. Isn't it? But yeah, we, Shida Hoffman. Good film. We, we come to the next Arkansas. Yes. Are we going to do the thing where I choose one and you choose one, or do you want to do two? Yeah, ones? why not? Okay, let me look at my movies. I did have, so actually, I did have two names in my head. I had Dennis Quaid and Sam Elliott in my head. I didn't know whether. Well, uh, do you know, I, I like choose them. one of them. You like them? I like them because you you don't want to go from like Edge to someone then. <laughs> I'd rather not. Okay, so the next Arkansas, everyone, and again, thank you for listening. And if you want to send any messages in, or emails, or comments, or cameo suggestions, it's the men who talk at outlook.com and we are next time going from dennis quaid to sam elliott feels like it should be easy but don't they always um and before we end rupert i just want you to if you can just close your eyes for a second mm. and if you, if you close your eyes just relax and just imagine that you have just opened your eyes and but don't actually open them and the the mist clears and you're on some sort of spaceship going through going through space and the cryogenic stasis pod opens and you fall out and you stand up and you're like where am i and in front of you is craig sheffer from nightbreed and he says well obviously we're on a mining ship and we're traveling through deep space. We're going to go and uh, do some mining. And you're like, okay. And he says, but there's a, there's a problem. And you say, what is it? And you, you lift up your wrist and you've got like a computer built into your wrist. And he says, oh, you won't need that. And then he turns around and reaches down and touches his toes. And you look up his ass and just poking out. You can see a fiber 